0: As we look ahead to Notre Dame Navy this weekend in the Aviva Stadium, we are delighted to welcome Nicole Obrack to Pro Football Ireland on the first week of our dedicated college football coverage. Nicole is a senior writer at The Athletic, and this season, she is the new lead college football insider for NBC Sports, who will also carry the Notre Dame Navy game from the Aviva Stadium in Dublin this weekend. Nicole, first off, a warm welcome. How are you doing?
1: I am doing great. It's been a crazy last month or so with realignment and everything across college football so very excited to talk about uh, a game and actual football getting underway
0: it's sort of surreal that it's this weekend it's it's a little scary but in a good way obviously congratulations on on the role with NBC and it's it's great for us Nicole because we can see in Ireland and in the UK we get obviously all the, the Notre Dame games so looking forward to seeing that coverage throughout the year and um, have you ever been to Ireland before
1: I have not. Uh, I feel like my entire Instagram feed has gone in recent years, uh, but I have not made it out yet.
2: That's well, look, now that, that's, now that, that's, now that we know if you've been or not, um, I guess the first question I, we wanted to ask was the whole concept of a Navy football team and an Army football team and an Air Force football team is, it's very strange, you know, from an outsider's perspective. So can you give us a bit of context to how that actually works?
1: Yes, I can understand that. That is a little bit strange as well. Um, so they're the service academies, and they have major college sports. Um, so the football teams obviously are made up of you know midshipmen and cadets, and they are yeah yeah they're they're dealing with all of the restraints and the schedules and everything from a conditioning standpoint um, and workout standpoint that everyone else on those bases. Uh, is as well um so you know they're they're going through all their military training and they're in all of the courses and everything that they have to do but they're also playing football again against some of the best teams in the country so they're always going to be at a disadvantage because of the size and the just restrictions that they have that they have to um you know make a football team out of athletes that can also you know that they can hack it at the naval academy or at West Point. And it's really challenging. And it's also challenging, especially in this climate these days, with name image likeness and the transfer portal, because they really can't use either of those things as recruiting tools. Um, you know, they're, they're not able to, they're able to lose players to the transfer portal, but they're not really able to bring anyone in because you would essentially have to start over. So you could, I suppose, take someone Um, you know, who maybe finished their freshman year somewhere else and were able to get in academically to, to one of the service academies and go from there. But you're essentially starting over in your programming. So it's just really hard to do it in the way that any other major college football program does it. And they can't do NIL deals. So they can't do endorsements. They can't do sponsorships. They can't put that money in their pocket as well. So those are two ways that college football programs build in addition to recruiting out of high school, which service academies also face different restrictions. Again, the academic component, the military service component. And a lot of times, again, you're looking at different body types. You're looking at undersized players. So you have a lot of quarterbacks that are essentially being recruited as running backs everywhere else, but they get to play quarterback at a service academy school with the triple option. So all of the service academies have triple option principles because that does give them an advantage, right? If you're thinking about a different type of scheme that no one else sees regularly, And you can do with offensive linemen who are going to be undersized based on what they have to do from a conditioning standpoint for the service academies, it gives you an option. And so I didn't even mean that as a pun, but it does give you an option and a way to stay in these games. Um, So, you know, everyone's got their wrinkles and their tweaks about exactly how they run the option, but it has served for a long time as a scheme and a system for these service academies to stay in games when they do play. Anyone else really in college football, and then certainly, um, you know, from from the American perspective, the Army Navy game is one of the biggest games of the year. It's a standalone game. It's played after the regular season ends for everybody else. It is a big deal, and I've covered that game before, and it is amazing. It really is uh, a, a bucket list type of environment and game itself, and it means so much to those schools. You know, obviously, they're they're trying to win all their games, but. That is the one that matters quite a big deal. You know, for anyone who's familiar with like the biggest college rivalries like Ohio State, Michigan, you know, they get they get gold pants. They get like, you know, mementos. The first thing anyone asks someone who's played in that game is what the record is in that game. And it's the same way for the Army Navy game, uh, which is played at the end of the year. So those games are usually very competitive, right, because they are dealing with the same constraints on their roster construction. But uh, Army's been getting the better of Navy recently. Navy had a 14-year streak, and it's been 5 of 7 for, for the Black Knights lately.
0: It's, I think it's really important, Nicole, that you explain that because we've such a growing NFL scheme, not just here in, in Ireland, but across Europe, obviously. And that's something that was quite not, not controversial in 08, whenever London got its first regular season game. And I think if you told somebody in 2008 that we'd have three NFL games in London, two in Germany in one year. Back then people would have laughed. Now we're looking at it with, with college football and there's a five-year commitment here. We had the Nebraska-Northwestern game, which as a mutual last year was, was fantastic to watch and it was great in week zero. There are whispers from people that we have spoke to outside of any agreement here with any sponsor folks. I've just heard generally from people talking when I was in Munich last year, Nicole, that, that they'd love to have a college football game in Germany at some point in the future. Just your thoughts. So, someone that covers the sport, do you think it's a, it's a good thing? Do you think maybe when you've such a condensed season, it's obviously completely different to taking an NFL team over when you got far more games, and fans do miss out. Just just sort of your thoughts.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question, um, and I think that the way that it's been used probably makes the most sense with week zero because it allows those teams to start their practices earlier. And it gives you an extra, you know, idle week and kind of structure the, the schedule better on the back end so that it hopefully any jet lag or any issues from the travel could be mitigated um, after you play. There were actually there was a college basketball game last year between Michigan and Kentucky in the middle of the season. That did not make any sense to me. I understand it on the front end. And I think that's the best place for it because of all of the other potential implications. Although, you know, college football is moving in a direction now that you're going to have four different teams in the big 10 that are on the West coast that are going to be playing East coast teams. So you definitely are moving in a direction where there are longer trips for some of these athletes and these teams across the board in general. But I do think, you know, an overseas trip and kind of making all the other pieces of that, that make it special about the sightseeing and learning about the culture and then opportunities for fans. You know, if you're a Notre Dame fan and you do want to go to Ireland, it's a great, opportunity to do both. I think you don't want to do it too, too frequently or maybe with the same schools all the time just because, you know, maybe you don't have that interest from the fans or, or the expenses too much. But I do like the idea of sprinkling in there for for week zero and and providing that opportunity. And every team that does these foreign trips, whether it's football, whether it's men's basketball, um, you know, they always they always rave about them, right? They always enjoy the part where they get to explore the other culture and the other you know, city, town, country, whatever it ends up being. So um, I would would love to see it continue. And just as long as it's not, you know, just kind of smack dab in the middle of the season and then impacts kind of other games that, you know, maybe matter more for, you know, conference schedule or CFP implications or something like that. But I think these one-off kind of showcase events, it makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. And, you know, in the last sentence there, you did mention the college football playoff. And, you know, it's next year that, that's going to get thrown up into a whole different stratosphere with the expansion of the playoff, but also the collapse, I guess, of the of the Pac-12, which was one of the Power 5 conferences, which was guaranteed a, a, a spot in there, and then now we're not going to see it. So do you have any idea or any theories or anything to how that might develop with the collapse or the demise of the Pac-12, if, that, if you want to put it that way?
1: Yeah, that's the big question. And there was an already regularly scheduled CFP meeting with the commissioners um, at the end of the month. And I think they're going to start tackling some of that. we have already heard from SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, one of the most influential voices in college sports, saying that he would like them to reconsider the format. I think they're also going to look at the revenue distribution and the way that that works, because if there's more at large spots and, and fewer power conferences, you know, you, you already knew that the Big Ten and the SEC were going to get the most bids. If you look at it historically, they were going to send the most teams when you open this thing up to a 12-team model. But if you don't have a pack a pack a uh, a Power 5 and a pack 12 as conferences, and it does adjust the amount of spots and who's getting them, I, I do think you're going to continue to see the Big Ten and the SEC gobble up even more of that space. So what does that look like in terms of how revenue is split? Because in the previous model, the current model, All the Power Five leagues split it evenly. But A, you have different sized leagues. So if the Big Ten is dividing their share by 18, that's different than the ACC sharing theirs by 14. So the Big Ten schools are making less. But also, if the Big Ten is sending more teams and they're advancing more teams, maybe they should get more money, like the way the NCAA tournament works. So I think that those are going to be debates that come about. And also just the model itself, because the way that they agreed upon it last year was six highest ranked conference champions, which is essentially the power five champions, plus one group of five, and then six at larges. So I think at the very least, you could see an argument for five AQs essentially for the conference champions, and then seven um, seven at larges, or you could see a push for even more at larges. But I think that those are going to be conversations that get debated starting at the end of this month. And I think it's fair to open those conversations up with A difference in the amount of fbs conferences perhaps and also just you know the destruction of a power conference that that was part of the reason that they they landed on the the six and six model in the first place so i do think they should revisit it and i think they will
2: and i guess you know to go back to you know the event that we're we're going to be experiencing uh on the upcoming saturday you know in doing everything and looking anything off about notre dame the one name that shows up every single time you type in Notre Dame into Google, you know, YouTube, whatever, it's Sam Hartman. And, you know, how big of a factor will he be? I mean, he's been arguably one one of the top kind of five quarterbacks in college football the last two or three years now. So I just want to know your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, he's he's massive. And he's the face of the program right now. And he's going to be this season. It's going to be his program. And this was such an interesting transfer because Sam Hartman going into the portal in the first place was a big deal and understandable. You you heard from Wake Forest saying, we understand what he's trying to do. He got his degree and he's trying to show that he can be a quarterback in a different system and get drafted at the next level. And that's exactly what happened here. You know, he's going to be able to profit from NIL. He's also going to be able to show in this new offense what he's capable of. And and I think that makes all the sense in the world, but it's also like a, a ready-made super experienced power five quarterback coming in for Notre Dame. And this has been a position that they've dealt with a lot of injuries and a lot of bad luck over the years. So it definitely, I think, heightens the expectations. You also look at the schedule and there's there's challenging games on this schedule, but you've got to feel better about it as long as you've got Sam Hartman and as long as he's able to stay healthy. But he has been one of the best quarterbacks in the country the last few years. And some of that got overlooked because it was Wake Forest, right? They're not a football powerhouse but he's been a huge part of them elevating themselves as a program to be a real factor in the ACC. Still, some of that is, okay, well, this is the scheme and the slow mesh and the way that Dave Clawson runs this offense. So I think he has a lot to prove this year in addition to what Notre Dame needs to prove coming off a season where they lost some games that they really shouldn't have.
0: I would go as far as saying, just in regards to the question before last when you mentioned the playoff expansion, I think the growth of the game here in terms of the NFL and college that plus the expansion of the playoff has led us to start a college branch of this as well because it's just, I think it's going to turn it in internationally into a huge thing. You mentioned Hartman there, Nicole. Um, we had a chance to meet JD Bertrand a few months ago. Is there anybody outside Sam Hartman on that field on Saturday that you could see playing in the NFL in a couple of years? Like we've seen Peter Skronsky play for Northwestern last year and he was so aggressive even when he came over for his first practice on the Thursday and of-
1: Yeah, I I think that there's usually some 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 guys getting on people's radars who are just because in part because it's week zero. We're so starved for football. Um, But also, Peter Skronsky was such a great talent. And it was um, honestly kind of a shame that that Northwestern was not able to win games despite having such a talented player on the field. Um, I'm going to give you some names of some some other tackles as well. Joe Alt um, is a potential top 15 pick. I will also couch this. I asked my buddy Michael Jr. for some names because I have not thought about pre-draft process and draft prep at all. So of course he's going to give me offensive linemen and and guys in the trenches. But Joe Alt and Blake Fisher are really really talented and and they are going to anchor um, Notre Dame's offense. Uh, left tackle, right tackle, and they're going to well Joe Alt for sure will have a good chance to be maybe a top fifteen pick in the NFL. Um, but Blake Fisher also with a really strong season will be up there as well. And there's there's been a lot of questions about the defensive line, but not the offensive tackles. They're going to be in really good hands um, as well. And, and again, if we're looking at like pure NFL talent, like those are the two guys to probably start that with. I think there's going to be some defensive players in general who could who could play themselves into that from Notre Dame. Um, but I think that like if you're looking for sure things guys you're going to want to pay attention to and you already like offensive linemen, these are your guys
2: and uh, you know i guess it going into what we can kind of expect from the game i guess you know navy is it's a it's a strange kind of team you know like it's it's not a regular program as we previously discussed and you know i was just wondering with the triple option all of those kind of things new head coach everything like that you know what can we expect i guess from them like is it going to be an absolute blowout or is it going to be a close game
1: it's Even in games where no Navy seems to be overmatched, it is such a challenge to go up against the triple option and to have to adjust all of your practices and preparation for that, that these games are always closer than you would think. Sometimes there are blowouts, but it's really, even if, you know, again, talent-wise on paper, it looks like these two teams should be uh, uh, overmatched. There are always these games with Army and Navy. Uh, There was famously a game a few years back Oklahoma nearly lost to Army in like double overtime, and it was not even on television. It was like a pay per view channel, and everyone was like watching some guy streaming himself, like watching it off of his foot on Periscope. It was crazy. But so this happens that there are teams and games that are unexpectedly close. So I'm not saying that this one might be that, but I'm saying don't just necessarily assume that Notre Dame will take care of business, even though. Navy has been down the last few years as part of the reason that there was a coaching change. Uh, Ken Niamatololo was part of this program for a quarter of a century, and he is out at the end of the year. And then they bring in Brian Newberry, promote him from defensive coordinator. He had a lot of support internally with the program. But right, they did not. They're they're coming off a rough year, uh, another four and eight season. And I I think that the key is going to be, you know, what does this offense look like? Which of those triple option principles are there? And then how do you tweak it a little bit? And you've got a new offensive coordinator in Grant Chestnut from Kennesaw State. So there will be triple option principles in what they're doing. But maybe you're going to see the quarterback line up in shotgun from time to time. Maybe you'll see more tight end usage. Like there will be different tweaks. But yes, it will still be that same principle of looking for, to get guys in space where Notre Dame is not used to seeing them. There's also been changes to the blocking rules, which have impacted the option schools. It makes it harder for them to to. Block the way that they always have, which is part of the challenge of playing them, is like the cup blocks. So that could also impact what Navy is able to do legally in this game as well. So there's a lot of questions. Absolutely. Brand new coach, first game. And Notre Dame is a team that we're going to be thinking about for the new year's six bowls. Maybe if all things go right, a college football playoff. So it's definitely an uphill challenge for them. But again, no one likes to prepare. No one likes to play Navy. Notre Dame does it every year because it's tradition, it's important to them but it's always like the worst team to have to prepare for and practice for because you don't play that way. So you never really know. So I'm hopeful it'll at least be close and it'll be competitive. We'll learn something about both teams. But certainly, I mean, on paper, the, the, these two teams are headed in different directions and one of them has a lot more questions really about where they are in the first year under head coach.
0: I two quick questions the Nicole, just in regards to what you said about Notre Dame there. Like last year, they win nine games, but they lose um, against Marshall albeit they had a 9-4 record in the weaker spots. Uh, and they lose to Sanford as well. Like, Look, I I was impressed whenever I spoke to, to Marcus Freeman, but I guess the proof's going to be in the pudding. I'm just sort of wondering what your general outlook will be on them this year. They've got some massive games down the stretch.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's a big schedule. Um, it's a really challenging schedule because you've got Ohio State, Clemson, and USC on that schedule, and all three of those teams are going to be good this year. I, I think what success for Notre Dame this year is to win the games you're supposed to, right? Because the games you just mentioned are games they should have won last year. And those are the games that you, if you're Notre Dame, you always take care of business. So you need to take care of business in the take care of business games. And then I think you need to win one of those three big games. And I think you'll certainly be in contention for for New Year's Six Bowl. And then depending on how the rest of the country looks, you might be in contention for a CFP spot. This is the last year of a 14 CFP. Um, which does make it harder. You don't have as much wiggle room to get there. But a lot of this is going to come down to defensive line play and the wide receivers. And if they're able to get production and and be reliable, and if the pass rush is CFP caliber, you know, they will be in the mix and they should be able to at least get one of those three games. But those are monster games. Those are all teams that could win their conferences. And might be favored to win their conference, depending on who you talk to about Michigan and Ohio State and Clemson about Florida State. Um, So I think success is 10 wins and it's getting one of those three games. And again, I think it's keeping Sam Hartman healthy is going to be a huge factor here. But really, it's about not losing the games that
2: you shouldn't lose. And I guess our final question for you uh, before we leave you go is. You know, who is your national champion and who is going to be your TCU kind of big surprise team this year?
1: OK, so I would be very tempted to take Georgia, but a three-peat is so, so hard um, and we haven't seen their quarterback play. So I'm going to be a little bit, I'm going to make a homer pick. I went to the University of Michigan, so I'm going to take Michigan. They're the number two team in the preseason. I do think this is Jim Harbaugh's best team on paper. Um, obviously they've, they have to get over the hump of actually winning a game in the CFP, but they've beaten Ohio State twice in a row. They have been good enough to get to the CFP. I think we're going to see J.J. McCarthy stretch the field, develop a vertical passing game better than it's been and more effective and actually be able to win games the way that you need to against those top, top teams. Um, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia proves me wrong here either. Um, I don't know if we're going to get someone that's like totally out of the blue, like TCU. A lot of things needed to go right for them to have the type of season that they did. Um, But a lot of the the dark horse teams that a lot of people have mentioned, I think, are my dark horses in terms of Florida State and Penn State. Penn State's got an uphill battle, right? Because they would have to go through Michigan and Ohio State to do this. But if they do, they'll be in the CFP, certainly because of the caliber of opponents. I think my overall dark horse would be Someone in the Pac-12 that is not USC. They were so close to making it last year, but there's so many good quarterbacks in this conference. Washington should be really good. Utah, if Cam Rising is close to healthy, will be good. Oregon State is certainly a dark horse pick. They've got a lot of talent in that league, so I'll say Washington because I just don't think they're getting enough attention this offseason. Michael Penix Jr. could be a Heisen contender, Um, and, and there's been a lot of buzz about USC, and there's been a buzz about Oregon, and there's, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about those teams, so I'll go a little bit more off the radar. Even though Washington is obviously a top 15 team heading into the season, I don't think people are talking about them in terms of the CFP, so I'll I'll cheat and say them, even though they're nowhere close to what TCU was heading into the season.
0: I love it. I love it. And uh, Nicole, just for people wondering or watching, listening to this, it's been a crazy few weeks for you and we we massively appreciate you taking the time and listening to us and, and answering those questions. Not just for us, but for the people that are listening to this and couldn't get a ticket for this weekend because there's 40,000 people flying oh. over from for, for America for this game. Not so, Don't just want to wish you the best luck for your coverage this weekend but for your coverage in NBC and obviously with the Atlantic during the season. We will drop your socials in the bio. Uh, and you mentioned Florida State there. Let's let's chat again before the Florida State Georgia Tech game in Dublin next year. But fa- thank you so much for coming on and uh, enjoy the season, Nicole.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the game.